at uh, Romans, the 16th chapter, verses 1 and 2 this morning, if you would like to be turning there in your text. Thank you for being here this morning. We have some who are visiting with us, and we're glad that you're here. We have lots of folks who are out today, some traveling for the holidays, some uh, not feeling well. We appreciate everyone being here. The, uh, <clears throat> the Sundays and uh, services right after holidays are always challenging for us in a lot of ways. Uh, we're here to worship God. We're here to focus our minds and our hearts on the Lord. And we are this morning especially thinking about the privilege and the responsibility that we have in being servants of the Lord. This actually is a portion of a series of studies that we'll be doing uh, in these upcoming lectures in Trieste in just a few days. Uh, So I wanted to uh, share some of this material with you this morning. And uh, I I want you to think about, as as we begin our study this morning, I want you to think about how in in vogue it has become, especially in uh, in, in the religious environment, to talk about servants and servanthood. The Apostle Paul said of Phoebe, I commend unto you Phoebe our sister, who is a servant of the church that is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord worthily of the saints, that you assist her in whatever matters she may have need of you. She herself has been a benefactor of many and of myself also. Tremendous thoughts about this woman named Phoebe who wanted to be a servant of the Lord. A lot of times in our lives we aspire to great things. We aspire to tremendous uh, success and uh, we aspire to climbing to the top of whatever mountain that is before us. I'm saying to you, in, in the kingdom of Christ... Greatness is found sometimes underneath. And greatness is found behind the scenes. Greatness is found not on the stage in the middle of the spotlight, but behind the scenes, behind the curtain, the one who is serving others. Jesus said, you remember in Matthew 10 and verse 28, if you're really serious about wanting to be a servant, about wanting to be great in the kingdom, then make yourself a servant of all. Who is this Phoebe? The Apostle Paul tells us, we're introduced to her here. We we know very little about her. She was a servant of the church in Sincrea. Sincrea was a little port city just outside the city of Corinth. Those of you who have been to Corinth, you probably visited Sincrea. And you saw the area, the, the ruins of the ancient port are, are there. Paul introduces her in three ways. We, we're, we find out three things about her right off the bat. Number one, he said, I commend to you our, uh, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister. And, and what I want to remind you of this morning is she, she was a Christian. Phoebe is a Christian. This is a woman who has become a disciple of Christ. She is a servant. Diakonos in Greek. 
the diacona in, in uh, Italian. This is, someone said, well, this is the feminine form of the word servant. Actually, uh, Stephen can tell you better, but I'm not sure this has a masculine and feminine form. You know by the context and by the articles that are used, uh, if it's being used in one way or the other. But clearly in this, in this passage, the word is being applied to Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. And yet, I, I want you to be impressed with the fact that Paul doesn't give, her, give us a list of her service. I don't know how she's serving the church, but she was a remarkable servant. But we don't get even one, one idea of her duties that she was performing, other than the fact that he's going to reiterate that she was a benefactor of many, Paul said, and of myself also. She was a helper, the word benefactor. Uh, very often today, and even in the first century, this, this concept carried the idea with it of being a financial benefactor. She helped us financially. She supported us in our work here. We, we don't know much about this Christian woman who served the church and financially supported the preaching of the gospel. But I'll tell you some things that we learn right off the bat. We, we are reminded that in the New Testament, it doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, male or female. Everybody can be a child of God, and everyone can equally be a child of God. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, in Christ, there's not male and female. We're just one in Christ. Phoebe was God's child. And I'll tell you, if you're looking for a status symbol, that's about as high as it gets. You get to be a child of the king. You get to be God's child. I mean, what, what kind of status are we looking for? What, what a blessing to be God's child. In the New Testament, both male and female became Christians when they heard the gospel with honest and good hearts and they received it uh, to themselves. That They became Christians and both men and women not only became Christians, but both men and women suffered for their faith in Christ. I want you to know the Holy Spirit points out the fact that when the persecution began in Acts chapter 8, and Saul of Tarsus, along with others, began rounding up what they considered to be these renegade Jews who were going after this teaching of one called Christ, When they went after them, they were arresting both men and women. And I want you to, uh, to be impressed with the fact that they were not discriminating between men and women who were Christians. If you were a Christian, you were arrested, you were, suffered, uh, you were suffering, you were being persecuted. Both male and female have a place in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one 
in Christ. I want you to be impressed with the fact that a woman who is a disciple of the Lord Jesus is God's child. A Christian who has the uh, rights and privileges and experiences of all Christians, including sharing in the suffering of Christians. Women have a place in the church because they are the children of God, just as men have a place in the church because they are the children of God. And I, I want you to know that both male and female participate in worship. The Apostle Paul mentions that Phoebe was a benefactor of all, of many, especially, Paul said, even to myself. The idea is that she was a person of some means. But I'm saying to you, we get every indication in the New Testament that women were absolutely a part of New Testament worship. Worship is challenging. Worship is particularly challenging on the Sunday after Thanksgiving Thursday when folks are full of turkey and tired and their schedules have been interrupted. And there is a a level of exhaustion and a level of distraction that challenges us to come together on the first day of the week and to focus our hearts and our minds on what we're here for and on what we're doing. Both male and female participate in worship. In the New Testament, when the church came together, Christians sang together, and they prayed together, and they said amen at the giving of thanks together. And they studied the word together. And they ate the supper of the Lord together. And they gave together. And it is very noteworthy that in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, in the worship of giving to God, when they brought their uh, their offering to God, Ananias came in first with his offering He was held responsible before God for the worship that he offered. Listen to me carefully. So was his wife. She was held responsible before God for the worship that she offered to God. I I, I don't know exactly how the offering worked, if they had a, as they did. regarding the Jewish temple, if they had the offering box or table at the entrance, and as you came in, the offering was made. I I don't know how the offering was done. I will tell you that in whatever way it was done, the woman and the man shared in this together as they were both children of God. They shared in the giving, and they shared in the responsibility of the giving And they shared in the responsibility of the wrong in their worship that day. And both of them shared in the consequences of that. And I'm saying that in the New Testament kingdom of Christ, 
Phoebe had a place. She is a woman who is our sister in the Lord. She was a servant of the church that is at Sincrea. Now, the text tells us that Phoebe was a servant. And the word is diakonos. The diakonos. Well, What does that mean? We're going to come back to that later. But I will tell you, it's translated servant over and over again in the New Testament. And I think I remember correctly, the word diakonos is used 29 times in the New Testament. In John, the second chapter, you remember the marriage feast? Jesus goes to the marriage feast with his mother at Cana of Galilee. And... uh, They ran out of wine, and Jesus' mother comes to him, and she said, fix this problem. And uh, he did. He called for the containers, the vessels, to be filled with water, and, and he fixed the problem. The ones who were serving brought to him the vessels filled with water. You know what the word is? Diakonos. The Apostle Paul uses that word that means servant, to serve. He used that word when he was talking about himself and Apollos and the work that they were doing in the churches. Tychicus, you remember Tychicus? He was one of the postmen in the New Testament. Every every epistle had to be carried by someone from one place to another. When Paul would write a letter to the church at Corinth, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossae. Some, somebody had to carry the letter. When he was uh, writing the prison epistles, it seems that Tychicus was the letter carrier. Do you know what he was called? He was called a diaconus, a servant. This is the word that was used not only in biblical literature, but it was used all over the Greek literature of the first century, to describe those individuals who carried mail from one place to another. It was a very common expression. True of civil government, rulers, even the false apostles, they were servants of of Satan. Jesus Christ is referred to as a servant. Well, Well, and then there is the particular work of deacons. Those who have a special work and who are going to be appointed in a special way to a special work. Now, Phoebe was described in this passage as diakonos, a servant of the church. I think, based on what Paul is saying, he said, I am commending unto you Phoebe, our sister, who is a, sister of the, uh, who is a servant of the church that is in Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord. Sounds like she's going to Rome, doesn't it? And it sounds like she's going to Rome at the very same time this letter is going to Rome. And it sounds to me very much like F.F. Bruce was right, that she is the letter carrier of the Roman epistle. Paul is in Corinth when he's writing this letter. And he's sending it to Rome. Phoebe is a servant of the church in Sincrea. Where was Sincrea? 
right outside Corinth. It was like Spring Hill to Franklin. Right there. And Paul is saying in the very last part of this letter, now, Phoebe, I'm commending her to you. She is a servant of the church in Sincrea. She is our sister, Phoebe. You receive her in the Lord. It seems that, that she was the letter carrier here. Well, and someone says, well, it uses the word diakonos. Any of you have the, maybe you don't want to confess if you have the New International Version. It's okay. But it, it, it translates uh, diakonos in this chapter. It translates it deaconess, Phoebe, who is a deaconess of the church that is at Sincrea. Deacon, deaconess, those are uh, transliterations of the word diakonos. But it's led to some confusing ideas. A couple of things I would say to you about that. Someone says, well, the New Testament churches had official deaconesses in the church. Official deaconesses in the church. Like 1 Timothy 3, that Paul was telling Timothy to appoint deacons in the church in Ephesus. That they had deaconesses in the church. They certainly had servants in the church. But a couple of things I want to say to you about that. Number one... The word diakonos is used all over the New Testament. Nobody gets confused about about all of these other uses of the word if all these people are deacons, official deacons in the church. The second thing I want to say to you about that is this, and uh, actually this is something I I, I just came across and thought about as I was preparing these, uh, these studies and these lectures. But of the 29 times, of the 29 times that the word diakonos is used in the New Testament, as far as I know, this is the only time, the only time where a group of translators inserted into the text the transliteration deaconess instead of servant, only in this passage. The other 28 times, the word is never used to refer to a woman who may or may not be a deacon in the church. Never used that way. Would only be this one time. Doesn't mean that it couldn't be the case. But I'm just saying that's, that's odd. The second thing I would say to you is this. Why would you... Why would you make such a big issue about women deacons officially in the church here? Based on Romans 16, 1 and 2. And not make a big deal about 1 Timothy 5 and verse 2. Where Paul gives some instructions about how to treat the older women in the church. Do you know what the word is there for the older women in the church? It is the word presbyteros. Does that mean anything to you? Presbyteros, presbytery, presbyters, elders. That's what it means. And yet it's used in in the context of referring to women. But nobody in any translation 
tries to make that into women elders, but we want to make this into a woman deacon in the church. And, and, and I'm saying to you, the word means servant. That's how it's used all over the New Testament. That's how it is used here. And uh, I really don't know too much more to say about that. Paul said, she's been a benefactor of many. I, and I would just remind you, for folks who want to help, there's no end to opportunities to help if you really want to help. You remember Dorcas when she died, Tabitha? When, when Peter arrived, they brought him in, and, and the, the widows were there, and they just had laid out all, all of these things that she had done. But I want to tell you something. This was done after she was gone. And the reason they did it is because Peter didn't know, nobody knew what she had done. Wow, are you following me on that? Nobody knew what she had done. Now they're telling all these things that she had done one by one. Everybody, she did this for me. Well, she did this for me. Well, she did this for me. I, I'm telling you, there was not a Dorcas Facebook page with all of her stuff displayed there and photos of her handing it to the poor little widow ladies who, who needed It was not that kind of thing. This was done quietly. It was done privately. It was done humbly. It was done out of service to the Lord and concern for an individual. It was not about... You remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, if you want to truly give alms then do it the right way. Don't be blasting a trumpet and announcing yourself when you're offering your service. That's not how service is offered. Paul said, this woman, Phoebe, has been a helper of many. She is a servant of the church. Oh, what is she doing? Tell us what all she does. He doesn't say one thing that she had done. Quietly, humbly, consistently, she was serving the Lord and serving the church. I want, to, I want to say to you, that's how all of God's children ought to be serving the church. And Jesus said to his own disciples, you want to be great in the kingdom? Humble yourself and serve. I would tell you, that is how every mother with children at home, serves the Lord. Quietly, humbly, behind the scenes. No, no spotlight, no stage, no anything. But I'm going to tell you, there's not a greater work in all the world than the shaping of the minds and the hearts of children. Not a greater work in all the world. And yet in the New Testament, you don't find... Phoebe's list of, uh, of works that she did. I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And I, it's not there. And yet Paul said she was a great servant of many. She was a benefactor of many. She supported me, Paul said. Now, when she comes, four, four things you ought to say. When, when she comes, I, I want you to note this about her. She has been active in serving the Lord and serving her brethren. She serves in a substantial way. She helps. She is worthy of your respect. Receive her. 
And I want you to know she has financial. She, she not only has served us physically, but she is a benefactor to us. She has helped us in many ways, including financially. Now, l- let me say to you that the key to Phoebe's success is that she served like Jesus. She served everybody. Jesus said, I, I want to tell you what the judgment's going to be like. Hey, you're going to be standing there before the throne. The sheep and the goats are going to be separated. And Jesus is going to say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the good things that are prepared for you. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was sick, uh, and you... Uh, uh, and you ministered to me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And they go, wait, 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 Lord. When did we see you hungry or naked or destitute or in prison and we ministered to you, Jesus said, in that you did it unto one of these the least? You did it unto me. I'll tell you, sometimes I I have a hard time understanding what people mean when they say, they say, well, you know, we, we just, uh, uh, just want to be used. Okay? Want to be used. Servants serve. Well, we, we, you want to be given a task? Serve the Lord, serve His people, serve others. Not just your friends. Not just those that serve you back. I'm saying when we serve like Jesus, there's no end to the opportunity to serve. We don't have to look very far. The problem we have, when we develop the attitude of Jesus, the problem we have is that we find ourselves having to pick and choose because there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much service that we can render. That, that's, that's the problem. Serve everyone. Secondly, let me encourage you. If you really want to be a servant, you want to serve the church and serve others, you want to serve your family, do the undesirable job. Jesus, on, on, that, on that night of the Passover, when the disciples came together to eat that last Passover supper with him, Jesus girded himself with a towel, took a basin of water, and began washing the disciples' feet. I am saying to you, that was the task of the domestic in the house. It was the servant's task. It was the house slave who did that. You're walking on those dusty, filthy streets. You come into the house... People did not want you tracking all of that stuff into their house. Your shoes are left at the door. You go into other countries. It is still very, very common that you leave your shoes at the door. You do not wear your shoes into their homes. And in many places, including many places in Italy, they have all kinds of house shoes lined up there, and they will gladly offer you some if you don't want to walk around in your sock feet. But I'm saying to you, that was a job generally. 
that you would be met by the domestic whose job it was. And this was an unskilled kind of thing. It's not like you had to really, you had to really train a long time to be able to wash somebody's feet. Most anybody could wash somebody's feet. If you want to do something in the big banquet, the big dinner, the big Passover feast, you want to do something for the feast, wash the feet at the door. Are you kidding? Wash, wash the feet at the door? I, come on. Jesus did it. Jim McGuigan said as he was talking about that in his book, The God of the Towel, he said there were 12 lords in the room that night. Twelve lords and one servant. And Jesus humbled himself and served the others. And then he asked them the question, do you see what I've done? Do you understand what I've done? You're going to call me master? You're going to call me teacher? You're going to call me Lord? Do you understand what I've done? If I can serve you in this way, you can surely serve one another. And let me just say, there are lots of jobs to be done if you're really interested in serving Do the things that nobody else wants to do. It's fine. Third thing I would say to you is that attitude matters, so have a good one. It matters to the Lord, not just that we serve. It matters how we serve. When the sinful woman came into the house of Simon the Pharisee, or when Mary came to anoint the Lord's feet, they came with an attitude, and it was not an attitude of begrudgment. That, oh, Jesus is coming. I've got to come up with a gift. Got to give him something. You can't just be a chintzy thing. You know, this is important. I've got to give him something. It's not that. You see an attitude, an outpouring of the heart in these situations. We need to have a great attitude in the way that we are offering our service to the Lord and to others. And we need to remember that the greatest service of all that we offer to others is is offering to them the gift of the gospel of Christ that is the good news of salvation to all the world. That's what it is all about. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to be the servants of the Lord. And this morning we're here celebrating as servants because God has made us His children. There's no greater status in the kingdom than that. What a privilege to call God our Father. And what a privilege. If if the only thing I can do in the house of the Lord is to wash feet, I'll tell you what that makes me. It makes me like Jesus. And that's, that's the goal. You're here this morning and not a Christian. What a wonderful time to render your life in obedience to the gospel. If you have never confessed your faith in Christ and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that today. And if you're a child of God who has not been serving faithfully and you're ready to come home, won't you come right now while we stand and sing?